Welcome to LifeBeat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Right to Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. We're changing things up a little bit. We were going to do our news podcast this week, but instead we'll have our December Faith in Life edition, and we wanted to talk about Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, get an early start on that, which occurs in January. Uh, It's a big part of the pro-life movement uh, for pro-life churches talking about the abortion issue. We interviewed two pastors about it uh, who also were involved in something that uh, involved uh, just the election and addressing the pro-life issues as a church in general in West Michigan, and we'll get into that in the interview. So here is our interview with Pastor Chad Steenwick from Central Avenue Christian Reformed Church in downtown Holland and from Beaver Dam Christian Reformed Church in Hudsonville, Pastor Tyler Wagonmaker. Oh, and don't mind the furnace you hear in the background where we recorded it in our office. It is Michigan. It is cold. It's a lovely December. Welcome to winter. Okay, uh, welcome to Life Beat Podcast. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourselves and your church and why you are a pro-life pastor. So I'm Tyler Wagamaker. I'm a Christian Reformed pastor in the Hudsonville area and have enjoyed very much pastoral ministry, just ministering to God's people, bringing, bringing forth God's word. And it was something even just growing up. I grew up in West Michigan, grew up in Ottawa County. So I've spent a good chunk, most of my life actually in Ottawa County, outside of uh, seminary, a little bit in college, of course, and, and then uh, deployment in there. But other than that, it was uh, Ottawa County sort of values where church was... Uh, a cornerstone of a family life. I know it was for mine. My dad was an elder a number of different times, a Sunday catechism teacher, and uh, my mother, a church organist. We would go to all the services in many ways, uh, and the extra services too, and uh, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. So church was always just an important part of life, part of the conversation around the dinner table. And so when you grow up in that, my dad is an engineer, but you grow up in that and uh, it turns out that most of my brothers turn out to be ministers now. Um, so, and that was just one of those natural things that went in my life then too. You just love, you love God's word. You love, uh, you love the church. You love God's people. And you're concerned, and I'm concerned about um, those who don't know the Lord. And, uh, and then the implications of that too in people's lives. And, um, you know, one of those issues is the sanctity of human life. Um, I'm Chad Steenweik, pastor of uh, Central Avenue Christian Reformed Church in Holland, and I've been pastor there for 16, 17 years. Um, yeah, it's a, a wonderful congregation, you know, right downtown Holland, and so part of my pro-life story is the location of our church. You know, it's an uh, it's in an opportunity opportune area to um, to just be a light for uh, for the pro-life movement. But same thing. I mean, my story is not very not dissimilar from Tyler's. Was raised in the area, um, called to be a pastor. Love preaching the word of God. Love proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so those are the passions. And and out of that obviously flows the fruit that is consi- you know the consistency with the pro life movement. And um, you know God's word is is clear. Um, 
I would say, you know, the passion for being pro-life is something that's been developed in me throughout my whole life. I remember as a kid, you know, going to our boys club in our church, our cadet program, and, you know, every January on Monday night, we would go to the pro-life march downtown Holland. And um, they took us and they took all the girls and we just made our signs and we, we marched in the, in the um, march every year. And so that was just part of the fabric of our church. Our, my, the congregation I grew up in, um, very committed to the pro-life movement over the years. And so that was developed in me from a young age. And so I, I never really wandered from that. Um, and so I've been able to kind of live some of that out where I am now. Um, and it, it's just consistent with the teaching of Scripture and um, what God calls us to as, as we think about you know, who we are as image bearers of God, but also those redeemed in Christ Jesus. You know, pro-life message is, um, is just part and parcel to being a pastor. January 17, 2021 will mark uh, Sanctity Human Life Sunday, and that is 48 years of legalized abortion, 60 million lives of unborn children lost as a result of those Supreme Court decisions. Why is it so important for the church to mark this date every year? You know, the church has, over the course of generations and years and even centuries, it's been really the center point for all of these movements. You know, go back, going back to slavery and even women's suffrage and all of these sorts of things, the, you know, the church has been the voice because it's, it's the voice of God in the community. And it's the voice of God to its people. It's the proclamation of the truth of Scripture. And where else is this going to come from, you know, if it doesn't come from the church? You know, like I've said before, Scripture is clear on um, on its affirmation of life as being created by God, and so the church has to um, keep pushing on this. Um, and it's not simply that we're pushing on it from a political standpoint, although those are implications that certainly come out of this. But just from a foundational truth standpoint, we are preaching the pro-life message and because it's the message of Scripture. So Jesus Christ is, is the way, the truth, and the life. And so life is even embodied in our Savior, um, in who he is. And, and so life is a full-orb thing. Life is, is certainly a, a physical thing. In fact, we yeah. hear so much about that today with, uh, with COVID-19. So much of what we're concerned about is, is physical well-being and physical life. Um, it's a spiritual thing, and uh, it, this is also an eternal perspective. And so as ministers, um, we can't neglect the, the, um, uh, the fullness of who people are in the womb, which is a physical and a spiritual aspect because they are created in God's image. And yeah. so that's why just one reason why the church ought to be concerned of, about this. And, and it transcends politics. Um, I mean, it, as Chad said, it directly impacts politics, but it transcends politics because this is deeply an, an issue of what it means to be human, what it means, in many ways also too, in terms of just salvation, what it means to uh, to think about life in the fullness of life, uh, the physical, the spiritual, 
and and so it's just not simply some blob of tissue for instance we aren't we aren't animals we Amen. aren't insects we aren't birds um, uh, people are very very distinct we are created in the image of god and being created in the image of god um uh, gives us a, an element of responsibility, but also an element of privilege then too. So that when we speak about others, even in the womb itself, and scripture does this again mm -hmm. oftentimes, um, we're, we're speaking about someone who is, who is unique and who is special. And, and this is not just because I think so, this is not just because Chad thinks so, or you think so, or some scientist or some medical doctor thinks so. It's because God thinks so. And this is where the role of the church again comes in by saying something that, that the broader culture you know, speaks in all their different particular expertises, but where the church speaks and says, this is what God says, because this is what his holy word says. And God says that life is, is a blessing. Life is a gift. And people are created in the image of God, even in the womb itself. And so we have to, as Christians, as pastors, we are obligated to preach the full counsel of the word of God. We would be derelict in our duty if, because we were uncomfortable maybe with some of the, the overarching politics of it, to neglect that. We would not be preaching the full counsel of the word of God about that. That when Jesus Christ saves, um, uh, he, he saves people in the fullness, the entirety of who they are, and that includes people even in the womb itself. Um, you know, Reformed Christians, we, you know, um, uh, we're very covenantal in our understanding of of God's blessings going down to the next generation. And that's one reason, for instance, we baptize babies. Right. Um, uh, so we, you know, God speaks to the littlest of people too, who are, um, uh, who are brought into the community by God's, you know, by God's providence, brought into this community of faith, brought to, you know, even raised in a Christian home. Um, but, but God speaks to them even in the womb. Um, and so we even have a comfort, um, even in one of our, one of our Reformed confessions speaks about children who die in infancy, even too, or you know, even that is is moved into those who are miscarried. These these children who are miscarried, we have a confidence, we have a comfort and assurance that that this was not just some blob of tissue, but this was a human life, and who has a soul. This this little boy, this little girl, and these parents. One thing we can we can um, uh, offer a word of comfort to them is to say that this little one. Um, that you will see this little one um, one day, eventually too, when you leave this earth and you go to heaven, because this is someone who God spoke a word of promise to, and uh, and God, um, you know, God is a God who saves uh, to the uttermost, and and treasures and values and encourages us to do that with life. Just to tag off that a little bit, I mean, you know, we know Psalm one thirty nine, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, you know. This is not a case where conception just happens by chance, and this is ordained by God in his sovereign plan from before the foundation of the world. And so that applies to those two-cell embryos, you know, in, in the womb. And so we have to take that seriously, that what God is, the way God has created a, a child, all the way to the time he calls them home again to be with him in glory. I mean, that is in his purview and that's his creation and so we as pastors we, we really don't have the option to not promote life i mean if scripture is calling us to promote life at every every facet we have to do this and you know when it comes to the unborn 
you know, in the whole phase of life, who has the least voice? And certainly it's the unborn. And so we have to speak for them in, in this regard and, and bring this up because it, it's easy to be forgotten when you're hidden away, right? We see that on the other end of life when our elderly are, are placed away from families and away, and especially during this time of COVID-19, too easily forgotten. And so we have to be a voice for the voiceless. But it's because God says, as Tyler so well said, it's because God has deemed them to have value and worth. It's not because we're saying they do or we're saying they don't. We don't have that authority. That's not up to us. But it's completely in God's hands and in his determination. Okay, so uh, you both put together, uh, we're part of a team that helped get a website up for West Michigan talking about what it really means for Christians to be pro-life. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that effort? Well, what prompted it was something I know that just in conversation, Chad and I and some other pastors had, was just a growing concern that we were starting to see some, some leaders in the church community um, who had the titles of leaders, who had the titles even of pastors. And they were more and more um, on the political realm and outside of the political realm were, were saying that being pro-life is this full orb thing that, that means that you don't actually have to be against uh, legalized abortion. Um, rather, being pro-life means um, being very much in favor of you know, all sorts of maybe government social programs, for instance. And, and, and so they were calling themselves pro-life, um, uh, kind of full-orbed, all-encompassing pro-life. And, and I was disturbed by that, increasingly disturbed, because they're misleading God's people by saying that because they're not being truthful to God's word um, about saying that life is sacred even in the womb itself. And they were saying you don't actually have to even really fully hold to that on some practical level as Christians. That Christians can kind of agree to disagree on this issue of of abortion. And and I was increasingly hearing that. And I I know for me that greatly concerned me because that was giving giving moral cover to those who are fine with legalized abortion with mm-hmm. with the taking of the life of a child in the womb and that has implications for those on the most vulnerable too uh, you know a lot of times the elderly yeah. and so it, and and those who are disabled and mm-hmm. and so you know when you have kind of this domino effect, I don't, I don't think they fully understand and, and fully realize the implications of devaluing life really in the womb and giving kind of moral coverage to those who are fine of um, legally being permitted to take um, a life unjustly in that way in the womb. And uh, so for, for me as a pastor, when I'm hearing this from church leaders, I feel some level of obligation and responsibility to as a pastor, as a religious leader, as a Christian, to to come and say, no, this is a misapplication um, of Scripture. This is not what the Bible teaches. This is not church tradition. Um, And so we have to tell the laity, we have to tell the the community that at least from a a church perspective, a Christian perspective, um, these individuals who have the title sometimes of pastor and leaders of denominations who are coming out this way, they're wrong. 
and uh, and they're dreadfully wrong, and it has implications um, morally, um, in terms of legalities. So I was greatly troubled by that. You know, that trouble is really where this whole thing began as we were wrestling with this, and it was very grassroots. I don't even know how it started, but there was an email that I think that went out. Several pastors that were friends, colleagues of one another, and just said, we need to sit down and talk about this. So we sat down, coffee shop in Zealand, and said, what do we do? What, how do we address this whole um, issue, which is really confusing our people? You know, we have people in our congregations that were, for whatever reasons, and we all know lots of the implications and lots of the reasons behind this, but for whatever reason, they were uncomfortable with voting for our president for this reason, for that reason, whatever. And they needed a way out, but they couldn't vote for someone else because of the life issue. And as Tyler was saying, this kind of provided some moral cover for a vote not for for a pro-choice candidate, um, and so this confusion has to be has to be brought forward, because they were putting themselves forward as really the more pro-life candidate. Mm-hmm. It was as a redefinition mm-hmm. of what it means to be pro-life, and so as we sat and we discussed together, we didn't have any game plan when we got together. It was mostly just a conversation, and we said we need to we need to say something broader, even than broader than within our own congregations. And so the idea came together, we're going to start taking out some ads in the newspaper. And um, so I think most everybody kind of wrote up something, mm-hmm. pulled it together, and uh, we didn't really like anything that anybody wrote on their own. <laughs> and so somehow we came together with one statement. And it was, yeah, you know how those can go. You piece together things, they, they, they sound terrible. But what we came up with really was cohesive and concise, and that was the goal. Something you could print in the newspaper mm-hmm. that would just bring this as a highlight. And people would read this and say, I need to rethink this whole issue of, of what it means to be pro-life. You know, they were, as some are, are, are putting forward, they're saying, hey, if you look out there, abortions decreased under Democrat president policies. That may be true. It may not be true. There's lots of things that uh, uh, kind of play into that. And so the, all of these these factors that they're laying out there, we're saying we've got to look into this deeper. And it doesn't have to be an either-or issue. And either you're caring for those who are living or those who are unborn. I mean, our call is for life, period. And making abortion illegal in our country still needs to be something that is a priority. Because how can we sit here and have legalized abortion and call ourselves pro-life or promote legalized abortion and call ourselves pro-life. Those things just logically do not go together. And so as we were talking, we kind of came together and we said, okay, here we are, a group of five, six pastors. We don't have the funds to put this in the newspapers. I think it was going to cost us ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 to get it in all the papers across our congressional district. And um, we just put the plea out there to a few folks, and amazingly the funds started to come in, and little by little, and all of a sudden we found ourselves fully funded, and we said, the Lord is in this, and we need to um, put these in the newspapers. And so we, we had the opportunity to do that. And, and how we got other pastors to sign on to this, too, it was mostly just very grassroots. We sent out emails to our friends. 
who sent emails to their friends. And in the end, we had, in a short period of time, we had 60 pastors that jumped on across our congressional district, signed on, and we put these statements out together. And we got some feedback on this, and we're thankful we did. Um, I don't know what the long-term effect of it is, but we're thankful that we were able to, to do this, at least, to this point. So very much just simply coming together, a bunch of pastors and putting our names together and very grassroots. And, and I know that there are other pastors, I'm, I'm confident, with who are beyond maybe our connections who would more than gladly sign on Absolutely. to that. Absolutely. So, yeah. uh, and we, we try to be intentional in not just staying, for instance, in Christian Reform circles or, uh, I mean, through our relationships with other pastors and some more you know, Baptist circles, for instance, some of the Presbyterian circles, and then more broadly even beyond that, some Bible church circles, um, we were able to to get the word out so but there are still other circles that you know that weren't engaged that i'm i'm confident would be more than happy to to sign their name on to that and i think that more broadly communicates to the community saying this is not just one particular little subset um but but this is a broad-based kind of christian witness um, by christian pastors across um, uh, faithful denominations who who love God's word, who preach God's word, who love the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have a history of doing that. So for at least um, individuals who are attuned to that and say God's word is important, uh, the gospel is important, uh, the authority of God's word is important, um, and I'm seeing um, a large spectrum of pastors in these sort of churches that affirm that, who are saying this, that helps to shore up mm -hmm. at least again the Christian community to have a, a, a richer, fuller, deeper, um, more robust understanding of the sanctity of human life, um, which was getting muddled and clouded by yeah. by those with the title of pastor and uh, emeritus and whatnot who were saying something very different. Well, and as that as we came up with a statement, as we were kind of figuring out the game plan for all of this, you know, a lot of it was tied to election dates and there was thoughts of candidates, what they were putting forward, but that was really not our primary objective even as well. It was in there, but this was because there's confusion even in our own congregations. I, I dealt with this with people in my church. I had a woman who came up to me and she was really wrestling with this whole election. As people did four years ago and continuing to do now, and I think we all understand the wrestle there. She was wrestling, and yet she's very committed to the sanctity of human life. And how do I vote? Who do I vote for? I don't feel like I can vote for a third-party candidate, Thought thinking of that as a, a throwaway vote and all those sorts of things. And so some of this was to help that process, to help people think through that process. But undergirding it all is simply the fact that there's, there's truth here. And when people do step forward as church leaders, as pastors, and they say, it's not that, let me help you rethink this a little bit. And, and when, they're, when they're changing the mindset of people or, or giving them the opportunity to say, I don't really have to think about what God is saying in this, or I don't have to really wrestle with God's word or, or deal with that straight up. Um, I can kind of massage my way out of that. That's really what was undergirding this, the, the idea of truth. I mean, there's a truth here that stands behind the whole idea of, of being pro-life and, and what that truly means 
and standing for life as God has created it. What are some of the best ways that you found to engage your church in pro-life activities? So as I said earlier, our church is located right downtown Holland. And so that's provided us an opportunity opportunity to host the Life March every year. So it starts right in front of the church. Um, we've coupled it with a memorial service over the years, working with our local uh, Right to Life affiliate. And um, so we have a, a little march that goes around the park to be a public witness. To engage our own congregation in that, um, we've added some things. Like we would, we'll host a, a meal for our um congregation members before the march it's always in january so it's cold so having some nice hot soup and some hot chocolate ready is always good to get people out get a bunch of blank poster boards get the kids involved and making up posters so in a very nuts and bolts pragmatic way that's what we have been able to do and so that has gotten you know a new generation involved with it as well too just drawing the children in inviting our cadet and gems groups our boys and girls clubs to be a part of that um, so that's a, a very tangible way we have done that. We've also marked the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, which I know you also do in Beaver Dam, and just keeping that consistent every year. And there too, not making that a political rally, because our Sunday services are not political rallies, but it's, it's the proclamation of God's Word. And so seeing from the Word of God and preaching from the Word of God on themes of life and what God has, um, God has created, what He's redeemed, and, and what God values that has been very pragmatic. And then throughout the year, too, I mean, you can't just have sort of your one-and-done Sunday in January, but making it a matter of prayer. I mean, because where does this, uh, undergirding all of this is just the need to pray and, and to, to call God to have mercy upon us and to change hearts in our nation. And we're seeing him do that. And that's a wonderful thing to see a culture of life sort of gaining ground almost against all odds these days. Um, but we're seeing God answering those prayers. So, so keeping that a matter of prayer throughout the year, those have really been sort of the, the methods that we have used um, and that have had effect, and we've seen that carry on from generation to generation. That's good. <laughs> That's wonderful. And uh, I know in Beaver Dam, you know, one of the things, and Chad mentioned this too, we're very intentional of of marking the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday um, in the congregation, um, again, even in terms of materials that we provide and, and encouraging people to go to um, the Life Walk, for instance. Um, but one of the, you know, one of the aspects of, of the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, for instance, is, as we say, you know, we're just going to keep, we're just going to keep preaching God's Word, and, and mm -hmm. there is a lot that's to be said on this particular issue for I would say probably the the moral issue of our day. You know, every every kind of generation right. has and uh, nation has its own kind of um, flashpoint issues that that define a, a culture in that moment where y y it's really important to get this right and. Uh, this because this helps set the pace, the tone for the culture, for the nation, for the society. You know, in the past, for instance, uh, it was the issue of slavery, right. and uh, and I would say for you know for not only this generation, but we've had to deal with this previous generation, and we'll have to deal with this in the next generation. You know, until the Lord settles this, or until Jesus Christ comes. Um, but but we but we as a Christian church, I think it's important to have a day 
where we specifically are intentionally thinking about this issue. Um, to say that this is a, this is a, a moral crisis um, in our culture and in the church itself. Because, mm-hmm. you know, one of, the, one of the things too, and, uh, you know, a lot of crisis pregnancy centers will say this, say we're fine, you know, we consistently find that those who go through the doors of abortion clinics um, are, um, are almost percentage-wise um, those who are churchgoers compared to those who are not churchgoers. And so that's, that's disconcerting when you hear that as, as a pastor. Um, and, you know, they don't, I know they don't kind of parse it down to different types of churches because in my mind I would do that um, as well because there are, I would say that there are those who are not faithful churches out there in terms of the gospel and, and the preaching. Um, and there are those who are. So I would, I would really like to believe that those who are faithful on it, that God is faithful in changing the, the hearts of God's people in those kind of situations. But even still knowing that, that, that there are those who, you know, who call themselves Christians as, you know, and will make that decision for abortion. We lament that. Um, Christians sin just like everyone else. Absolutely. And so we have to be real with the problem of sin. We have to be real with the, the message of forgiveness, that there is forgiveness. Um, even, you know, for a sin like abortion, there is forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ. There is renewal, there's healing. And some of those who, who have found that forgiveness and looking back on it, lament and regret the choice, the decision they made, but said, you know, I was convicted of that. God convicted me, and the gospel of Jesus Christ set me free. And they're some of the loudest, most wonderful, powerful voices in the pro-life movement because they testify to the power of the gospel to change a life and, uh, and to, to find that forgiveness in Jesus Christ and to encourage others then in a passionate way to choose for life, um, especially those who are facing difficult situations in terms of pregnancies. And so those are very effective voices. But going back to the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, that's an important component of the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's not beating people over the head or saying, um, abortion is bad, abortion is bad. And we know that. Um, uh, but, but we also need, you need the law, but you need the gospel too. Amen. Uh, you need to, to hear about Jesus Christ and that there's forgiveness, there's newness of life. Things can change. Things can be different. And, uh, and, and Jesus Christ changes our lives. And so just in terms of the gospel, the Sanctity Human Life Sunday is really important and powerful. And I encourage ministers to do that. Don't shy away from dealing with sin, but because that is a, a wonderful, powerful springboard to, uh, to the power of preaching forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. What would you say to a uh, pastor who is struggling with either his congregation really isn't on board with him talking about pro-life issues, or maybe he's just too afraid to uh, express those pro-life views from the pulpit? I would say don't be afraid. Um, I know it's I know it's just, you know, in some sense it's just a word, but it's to, an encouragement to don't be afraid, but don't be afraid. How often are we are we told in Scripture to not fear, uh, to trust in the Lord? Some of that is just is just going out in faith and saying, 
as a minister, I'm called to preach the full counsel of God's word. If your congregation is used to you preaching, let's say, through a book of the Bible, um, you know, maybe you're um, expositionally kind of working your way through a book of the Bible, and you come to a passage, for instance, that deals with the sanctity of human life or ties in very well, that is a perfect segue to deal with that issue and to address that issue. To, to avoid that in that times in many ways would be even more apparent than, than, than pre just preaching on it. Just preach it. And when God's people in your congregation have gotten used to you preaching the Bible, even on uncomfortable topics, um, and, and knowing even that it might be uncomfortable for you as a pastor to address it, but you're, you're speaking it not in your own authority. You're speaking it because it's in God's word, and you're a, you, know, you are to be a servant of the Most High God in that moment. Um, so, so don't be afraid. You know, if they have an issue with it, bring it up with God. Um, uh, and in some ways, that's, that's the power of the pulpit, is you're standing behind the pulpit. I'm not standing in my own authority. I'm standing behind the, the authority of God's word. And so stand in the authority of God's word. If someone has a problem with it, again, they can bring it up with God. And so, but I'm, you know, you know, how have I been faith, you know, faithful in preaching God's word in all these other areas, but now suddenly I'm not faithful in this. If I'm a faithful pastor, I'm a faithful pastor. Um, and so that includes that. So to avoid that, I think, would actually make you not a faithful pastor. So be faithful, love the Lord, love his word, and have confidence and, uh, and know that, you know, you can have a clear conscience in doing that. Just to piggyback off what Tyler is saying there, too. You can't come to Sanctity of Human Life Sunday and be that and that be the only time you ever Correct. touch on life or Correct. touch on those issues or touch on any of those issues. You know, as he says, if, you, if your congregation has been fed a diet of God's word, all of these things come up. And if you're preaching expositionally through Scripture, if you're preaching faithfully through Scripture, it doesn't become your bully pulpit at that moment. Um, if a pastor is out there who is preaching, you know, his opinions, you know, preaching from a political perspective, that's where you should be afraid, and that's where a pastor should be hesitant and reticent to to proclaim. But Continue just to preach the word of God. And it is hard. It is, it is difficult. But I think even framing it differently, you are not preaching on a political issue. When it comes to Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we're thankful for the work of Right to Life. I mean, greatly. But it's broader than Right to Life. Right to Life has its purpose. And it's working mostly with legislation and all of those sorts of things and in the, in the court systems. But we also have these crisis pregnancy centers that are a great partner in all of this and, and highlighting those ministries, but seeing this as in, in a broad way. Because we're not pre preaching on a political issue. This is not a political issue. This is a moral issue. This is an issue of truth. And this is an issue that in itself links right back to the very nature of our God and his purpose in his, in his, um, in his world. I mean, when he created the world, he breathed life into the world. When he sent his son, he sent his son to be the light of life. He sent him to, to redeem life, to bring eternal life to his people. And so framing it in, 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 the, in, the, in the gospel and not in the realm of politics or even merely just a, a moral position, this is, is much bigger and broader. And I think that would give a pastor confidence 
knowing he's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is the gospel of life, and a gospel that brings life to all, spiritually, physically, all the way through. It's a, it's a complete salvation. Uh, feel free to put on your prognosticator hat here, uh, or not, uh, and just kind of speak generally, but what do you think is the future of the pro-life movement moving forward? I know we've been asked the question where um, the statement that was made by these pastors in the Michigan 2nd Congressional District, where does that go? Really, when we got together, we have no, had no thought of it being anything more than the statement that we were laying out there. It could go somewhere, we don't know. Um, we'll see where the Lord leads all of that. There's a connection of pastors through that, and there may be something there. But again, I think with the whole life movement, and this is what we're seeing nationwide, and I think this is where it has to go, is that it has to be grabbing the hearts of the people. And people are seeing this, and I think people are identifying there's something wrong here. We're seeing it in the church. We're seeing it outside the church. I mean, in our general society, there is a growing culture of life, and that is wonderful. We're seeing that with a younger generation. You know, my children are all teenagers today. And now, yes, they've grown up in my household. They've grown up in my congregation. They're very strongly committed to the um, to life. And um, But even seeing it among their friends, there seems to be a culture where they're recognizing this. You know, scientifically, it's impossible to deny life in the womb. Um, but I think for the church, I think that's where Tyler and I come in, um, the church continues to preach what it's always preached. And the church has to continue to proclaim the word of God, to, to, to provide the undergirding behind what is being discovered in science and saying, yes, we know this. We've known it all along, that there is something there, that this is life because our God has created that life. And so I think the future of the movement in terms of the church is that the church just continues to boldly proclaim the word of God as it has, as it needs to, and as it needs to until the Lord comes again. I, it's always hard to, to kind of guess where things are going to go. Um, you know, all I just keep going back to the importance of just being faithful, and I leave it in God's hands for that. Um, you know, because you don't know what God will do. I mean... Ministers can be very faithful in preaching that, but if, um, you know, but if people aren't listening to it, you know, in some sense, I can't control how people respond. Right. Um, all I can do is say, this is what God has called me to do, and I'm going to be faithful in, in this area of my life um, where God has called me in this particular area to be faithful. And so... And I just have to leave the results up to God after that. So, you know, whether God will use that to, you know, the preaching of someone like Reverend Steenwike um, in, the, in the greater Holland area to help over time to ignite a, a broader, even more robust pro-life movement, um, then in God's providence he'll, he'll use it that way. If instead, you know, Reverend Steenwike is faithfully preaching on that and and there's just a hardness of heart towards it um, in the broader community, you know, I, yeah. 
he's still faithful. You know, Rev <clears throat> Reverend Steenwike is still faithful about that. So, and Reverend Wagamaker is still faithful. So all we can do is just do what God gives us the opportunity to do, and and to be faithful in that, and encourage others to be faithful in their sphere of of decision making and their world. And over time, that can have domino effects. Um, it's, you know, on a broad scale, we can't orchestrate anything large. God does the, the large and the small things. Um, I can just be faithful in my own little small little part of the world in Beaver Dam. And, um, and you know, and, and really every pastor can do that, and every Christian can do that. Um, we don't do that always so well, and so that's why I'm thankful for the gospel. Uh, I'm thankful for new days. I'm thankful for new weeks. I'm thankful for good friends like Chad who come along and who, through his ideas and through his energy, invigorate me, challenge me. I think that's one of the futures of the pro-life movement. We have to, we have to keep talking and encouraging each other. Amen. That's part of being the church um, also, too, more broadly speaking. And this is more broadly outside of denominational labels than too. As Christians, we have to keep encouraging each other. That's why, you know, like right to life, I'm thankful because there are power. There's a powerful Christian witness in like right to life of Michigan, for instance. Um, even the materials that often right to life puts out brings us back to God's word. These are other Christians who are challenging me and encouraging me as a pastor, and uh, and so we need to be able to keep encouraging and challenge each other in that way to faithfulness where God has put us. And then we'll see what God does with it. And that's it for our monthly Faith and Life interview for LifeBeat. Join us again next week for our regular news and commentary. Have a wonderful rest of your week and a wonderful weekend.